Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome into episode 269 of the Skate Podcast. I'm Brian DeFelice, joined by Bridget Pru and Scott McLaughlin. Actually, I shouldn't just gloss over that. Bridget's been gone the last couple of episodes, broadcasting all around college hockey and beyond. Uh, Bridget, welcome back. How was your week? Busy, very busy. And um, my voice still hasn't really recovered, but it was fun. <laughs> and I have another uh, broadcast Saturday, so... Yeah, and for those who don't, who weren't listening prior or weren't informed, Bridget was part of the, um, you know, in inaugural all all female broadcast uh, and production team during the the Beanpot final, women's Beanpot final at the TD Garden, which is just a really, I mean, I'm not going to speak too much on it because Bridget, you were a part of it, but just a really cool um, moment for all of you involved. Yeah, we got some good feedback afterwards too, which is nice. Like sometimes we go like at least for myself, like I go through it and I'm I'm just like in the zone and I have no idea what it looks like or sounds like to other people. I'm just trying to like do the play by play the right way. And then I'll go back after and watch it and see like, oh, okay, yeah, that came out good. And it actually we had the Bruins producer and and like we had all the Bruins cameramen and, and we had just a full like a huge production and it did come out looking pretty nice so I was happy about that and some of the stuff I've heard people say about it since then and it was a great event over 10,000 tickets sold for the first women's beanpot final at the garden which was the high it was the highest attendance for a women's college hockey game in New England and I think the the highest other than like anywhere in college hockey other than at, at Wisconsin, which always draws the biggest crowds. Um, yeah. Wisconsin. I, I'm, unfortunately in my terriers fell in overtime, but uh, well, still, still a cool event nonetheless. Uh, Bridget, before, before we get to our opening shifts, I mean, how was it? Um, what was it like calling play by play from, from that high up at the guard? I, I think that's the furthest elevated you've been during while calling a game where they're, were there certain challenges that you weren't expecting being that high up or just how was the overall experience? It's not every day anybody gets to um, play by play for a game in an NHL arena. I actually had a harder time at Harvard. <laughs> I had a much harder time at Harvard because that was where the semifinal round was. And I had to do it from behind the net. And that was really weird. And I had to figure out how to use my monitors and like my other camera angles to kind of like see into the corners that I couldn't see into on the opposite side. And I have good vision. 
but we had like we were blocked by like the netting and like it was like perfectly at eye level it was awful I had such a hard time seeing there and then when I got to TD Garden luckily I'm there so often with Scott that I already knew that my eyes were probably going to be okay with it because I can see you know all the Bruins players fine so it actually was pretty easy I, I had a I had an easy time with it just because um it it was a clean, nice line of sight. I could see both sides of the ice fine. And once I started, once I was like about like four or five minutes into it, I was like, okay, no, this is going to be fine. I'm not going to have an issue. But yeah, it's it's not like Lowell. Like Lowell, I'm nice and like up on top of like very close. And then, but it was cool doing a broadcast on an NHL rink for the first time. And, uh, you know, I would love to go to an NHL game there at some point, but it's a good, uh, nice step here. And Definitely, like, checks off a bucket list thing. Like, do a broadcast at TV Garden, so. Yeah, hopefully we hear you calling a Bruins game soon. That would, that would, that would, be, that would be the ultimate mm-hmm. the ultimate uh, showdown. Just get me but, in there. Yeah. Sophia, Sophia said she'd, she'd try to pull some strings. <laughs> nice. And I'm she, a- by the way, she's, like, the nicest person ever. <laughs> she's, like, like, borderline too nice. Like, I, I don't even know how she pulls it off. Those, those Canadians. I know. Yeah. That's it. That's exactly what it is. <laughs> I assume, um, I assume, were you in the same booth that Jack and Brick? Always yeah. Used, I assume? Yeah. So you can see like Jack's bags of uh, coins that won't get tossed. And, <laughs> and cans of corn yeah. that were stacked up. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's so funny. Um, yeah. Uh, so, so let's get right into the opening shifts. The Bruins had a, uh, an, uh, Exciting overtime win over the Senators last night in Ottawa. Brad Marchand stays stays hot. So does Trent Frederick. Um, yeah, let's jump right into the opening shifts. Yeah, so my opening shift is about Brad Marchand uh, and that overtime winner, um, which came on a nice two-on-one, just held, beat uh, Eunice Corposalo with a snapshot. And it was his 396th career goal, which moved him one ahead of Ray Bork for fifth on the Bruins all-time goals list. He's only six behind Rick Middleton. So that's, he'll be up in fourth soon. Um, and if you look at it, like he could catch Bergeron next year, possibly maybe Esposito the year after, um, you know, he's gonna, he's almost certainly going to end up top two or three because eventually Pasternak will join him as well. Um, but also, this was Marchand's 24th goal of the season. He had 21 all of last year. He's on pace for 40 goals. Actually, 41 to be exact. Um, his career high is 39. He's never had a 40-goal season. And he's doing this at age 35. And in his first season without Bergeron as, as his regular center, it's it's really impressive. And I didn't, you know, going back, like I didn't even think Marchand got off to the best start this year. He... It took a while for him to develop chemistry with really any of the other centers, which, you know, is natural. You played 12 years with Bergeron. It's not not going to be the easiest transition to someone else. Um, but he has chemistry with Coyle right now for sure, whether it's Pasternak on their right, which is what it's been the most recently, or Frederick getting bumped up, or DeBrusque at one point. Uh those two in particular are clicking. Marchand had both goals in, in the comeback uh, against Carolina on Wednesday in the third period. Again, the Bruins eventually lost, but they came back from 2 nothing down to tie it in the third. So he's 
he's been on fire up to five goals in the last four games. And it's just, I, I remember we had talked before the season and one of my big questions for this Bruins team was like, is Martian just going to continue to be good or is he going to get back to being elite now a, a full year removed from that double hip surgery? Well, he's, he's looking pretty damn elite right now. Like it's, um, it's, it's a great season that he's putting together. So that's uh, that's my opening shift. And mine is yours. Bridget, is you want to next? Yeah. Yours is a positive one. Mine, not so much just because, um, we got late news that Weatherspoon was going to be in for Shattenkirk um, in the game against Ottawa. And Shattenkirk has been scratched a few times recently. So, um, you know, he, he's be, now that Forbert is back, Shattenkirk has been kind of right on the, the borderline of the top six defensemen. And it looks like Weatherspoon is getting the nod instead of him. Um, I uh, will get to this like more in depth later, but he seems to maybe be now considered the seventh defenseman, but he's right on that borderline of the sixth or seventh defenseman now. So for him, he's got to find a way to, to make his way back into the lineup, but we can, we can get into our thoughts on the defense later, but just wanted to point that out that Chattenkirk has been scratched quite a few times. Um, and it coincides with um, people getting healthy on defense. So, and that's without Lori up. Like Laura has already been sent down to Providence over a week ago. So um, yeah, things, things not looking good for Shattenkirk currently though. Uh, I still think he's a good defenseman. He just finds himself pushed down the depth chart. Well, I, I also, I wonder if he might be dealing with something because Montgomery had said pregame that they had a couple of guys dealing with something. They had to see how they felt in warmups and Lauko ended up as a scratch up front. And I'm, I mean, he's been playing great recently. So I'm assuming he was one of the guys dealing with something. Doesn't seem to be too serious, but I, I wonder if it was Shattenkirk on defense. Um, because I, I get like, I was a little surprised that Forbert played both nights of a back to back, just coming back from his groin injury. And he only played, I think, 11 minutes. And they barely even used him on the penalty kill, which is obviously usually a strength. Or I guess they ended up at 13. But um, they barely used forward on the penalty kill, which is obviously usually a strength. So there was clearly like some minutes of management going on there. And I wonder if the original plan might have been forward being scratched. But I don't, I don't think Montgomery was asked about that after the game, at least from anything I saw. So uh, I guess we, we don't really know. But yeah, there is definitely – some sort of rotation going on there. Yeah. And I wouldn't be surprised if, if he was just a little bit banged up just based on him having to play a lot during the time that Forbert was out and Carlo was out for a chunk there. So um, yeah. For me, my opening shift is it's regarding Trent Frederick. And I also think it kind of can spawn into a more subjective discussion about um, the Bruins seventh player award winner uh, at the end of the season, which, which goes to basically the player that goes above and beyond expectations. Um, Now this Bruins team, I think has a lot of, a lot of potential candidates. There's a lot of good stories on this team this year. Uh, If you want to talk about, and again, if these players I'm about to mention have a continue to have a good second half, right. Or even better than their first half, but like nobody, 
most people didn't really know who Matt Potra was, let alone think he was going to make the team as a 17, as a 19 year old and contribute. Um, Danton Heinen signs a PTO um, and then signs a contract after the regular season begins. He's a middle six contributor for this team. Um, James Van Riemsdyk is uh, tied. I want to say uh, he's tied for, f- he is fifth on the team in scoring. Um, he was a bargain free agency signing with, um, you know, some, some, some mileage under him and he's had a good season. Um, Charlie Coyle, people will sit there and say, potentially, well, how can, how can your top center be a, a seventh player award candidate? Well, when he was a historic third line center in the league, <laughs> that's impressive. Um, but for me and Morgan geeky is another one, like just steadily, he's another good, good contributor. There's a lot of good stories. That said, Trent Frederick, just he comes to the front of my mind and, and I'm not alone. And I, 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 I posed this question to, to people on Twitter yesterday about like halfway through the year where, where they think the, this, this award should go to. And there were a lot of people saying the names I just said, but the most one that was mentioned was Trent Frederick. And I actually agree. And my question for you guys is for my opening shift is has his ceiling in your mind changed as an NHL player? I know earlier this year, we talked about maybe after, after last year, he could be, you know, he, uh, certainly a third liner in the NHL, but Scott mentioned how he's already kind of playing a second line role because this team is just kind of balanced. But he's starting to seem like a player that has legitimate top six forward potential in this league year in and year out in a power forward role. And there's numbers to back up what he's done this year. And and, and but I'm, I want to get your guys' opinion before I, I I throw those out. But just your thoughts on Trent Frederick and how has his ceiling changed as a player in your mind? Uh, right in front of your eyes this year. Yeah, he just keeps pushing it higher. I mean, he's getting consistently better every year. And, you know, last year he is a breakout season where he get, ends up with 17 goals. He already has 14 this year, and there's still a game to go before the All-Star break. He has 14 assists, and he already tied his career high. I mean, he's on pace for 24 goals and 48 points. Like, to to your point, that's that's legit – middle six production. Like now we're not just talking about third line production. You're talking about middle six. You're talking about a guy who has driven the third line when he plays there and also helps the first or second line when he gets bumped up, like he did in the third period against Carolina, he gets bumped up with Coyle and Marchand and sets up both of Marchand's goals. So he's, he's moving around. He can play either wing. He can play center um and yeah like you see that and you're like okay so i guess now he's a mid-20 goals around 50 points guy and it's like well what if he keeps pushing up from that like what he's that this year what if next year he's 30 goals 60 points like i don't think you can really rule anything out for him right now because there's still he's on that steady incline where he clearly hasn't topped out yet I think what's cool about how he's done it too is just that he's done it from every single position you could possibly put in. He's been able to handle and it it, kind of, it shows you he's probably, I would say he's probably the most versatile player on the team in terms of you tell him, okay, you're playing center tonight. You're playing wing tonight. Like Zaka is probably up there too, but Zaka doesn't fight and Zaka is not going to play fourth line minutes. Like Frederick has gone 
I've played on pretty much every line this year. And he seemed to work well with everyone. And that's not something that we were saying two years ago, three years ago. I mean, there were, there were not that long ago when we first started the podcast, uh, his situation was like, we weren't sure he was going to make the Bruins out of camp. And now you're looking at him and you're like, okay, well, he's clearly found uh, his confidence in the NHL. He's, he's found a way to impact the games in all sorts of different ways. Um, Hey, who knows? He might start seeing more power play time now. We've seen him do that a little bit. So um, I just think it's cool how he's done it because he's such a good team player. All the guys like him and are very happy to see the numbers that he's putting up and and kind of all believed in him this whole time because they they knew more, before we did kind of what he what he's like um, and what he could do. So it, it's nice to see him get that reward with the goals and and see his production step up and you wonder what his role might be next year because we've been talking about you know the Bruins need to add a top six winger um maybe at some point in the future we're not seeing something like that with Frederick around like maybe one at some point in the future we're like well no like just put Frederick there yeah and, and Scott you mentioned it last night online uh 15 points in his last 17 games seven goals eight assists and you know, not only does that speak to consistency, but I think like when you mentioned what his, his, his season ending projections, um, I kind of take that with a grain of salt because I feel like once you kind of get going in this league, it, you, you really get going and, and like his confidence is there now. He knows he can do it. And I'm not saying that that confidence wasn't totally there earlier in the year. I just think there's a difference between Trent Frederick on the ice right now than there was in October, November. And I think he's been playing great all year. But from a scoring perspective, once you start scoring, it's, you know, I think that bar elevates for you. So I could see him just continuing to maybe not score on a, you know, 15 point, 17 game pace. But like, I think, I think he could probably, I think he can keep climbing is my point. And what's awesome to see is the way he's scoring goals. Like he's scoring goal, goal scorers goals. Like, that goal he scored against Detroit um, maybe about a month ago when he challenged Ben Sherratt to a fight right afterwards was an amazing backhand goal. Um, and he kind of like, I feel like that, that goal is like kind of has like propelled him. Um, but last night against Ottawa receives a pass at the blue line, takes two steps in snaps one top shelf. Like that's a, that's a goal scorers goal. Not a lot of, not a lot of uh, guys in the NHL, you know, can, can, can score on a shot like that from that far out and beat a goalie clean. That's impressive. It's, it's what's shots like that is what separates David Pashnak um, from I like was other, say, well, there's, 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 like, a, there's a million things that separate him, but like that's, that's a, that's a, the kind of goal pasta scores and not the kind of goal Trent Frederick right. was scoring earlier in his career. By the way, speak, speaking of a Frederick Pasternak comparison, they are tied in, Five on five points per 60 minutes. Only Charlie Coyle's more in the Bruins. I looked this up last night. There's 317 forwards in the NHL who have played 400 five on five minutes this season. Trent Frederick is 40th in points per 60 minutes. Like, if you just think about that from a league with 32 teams, for him to be 40th in mm. five on five scoring, like, that's it's just a testament to to how good he's been because again, Bridget mentioned the power play, like he, on the season, he still has gotten 
very little power play time overall. Like all of just about all of his damage comes five on five. Um, and yeah, like that shot, like that's, that's someone who's just feeling confident. And, you know, like you mentioned about how you can just get on a roll. Like, yeah, he's, he's attacking, he's going middle, he's taking his shots, he's picking spots like that. I mean, that was just the goal scorer's goal. That's, you know, it's a great shot. Like he uses the defenseman as a little bit of a screen and just snaps it top corner. I think it was a little bit posting in like, yeah, it, it, it's 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 not just the it's not even just the shooting, right? It's 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 the skating with the puck on his stick, making plays. It's his passing. Everything has just, I mean, and again, it hasn't been an overnight switch that flipped, right? Like he had a good year last year. Okay, like let's not let's not act not not that you guys are, but I don't want to act like I didn't think the player was already on a, on an upward tra- trajectory. He was, but but he's making a significant difference this year where I look at this, I look at, I look at him in the past and I saw our player. I look at him now, the way he's been playing and I see a difference maker, his size and his ability um, to control the puck and protect the puck and make plays and use his, use his long stride. Now that he's putting it all together, dare I say, it's like, it's like a, he's a first round talent, right? So it's like, you're, you're seeing that come to fruition now and not every first line, ta- uh, first round talent is a, you know, an NHL all-star, but um, yeah. So kudos to him. Absolutely. And not every, and not every first line talent that gets put in a fourth line role for several seasons finds a way to get out of it when that's not the game that they're used to playing. Like he was able to carve himself out a role, a completely different role and then build on all of those other things we were talking about that make him a difference maker now. Like he was able to solidify a spot in the lineup by being tough and by grinding it out and just being defensively sound. And then he started adding and showing the other things that he could do. And it's not always easy to climb your way out from, I'm a tough guy, grinder, fourth liner to, okay, now I'm, you know, third line center when I start as a wing. And now like, maybe you can throw me in the top six. And um, he's, he's done it just like piece by piece, putting the work in and, and sticking with it. it. It's crazy that he was a healthy scratch on opening night just last season. And if you remember at the end, he was a healthy scratch in two playoff games too. Like once guys came back into the lineup, yeah. Bergeron and Krejci, uh, and you know, obviously, they had added guys, guys with the Bertuzzi and Hathaway. Like he, he got shuffled out, and it's like obviously that's not going to happen now. It's like he's such right. a fixture in their middle six now. It's you know it's crazy to think that just last year, just not even twelve months ago, he was still getting scratched at times. Like that's and you know, I, I remember wondering at the time, like would that going into a contract contract negotiation like would that have soured any feelings and and it didn't he made it clear he wanted to stay and they they get close to arbitration but end up getting a deal done before they got there and that deal looks like a steal now two years 2.3 million dollars a year like not only great value this year but next year as well yeah i mean there there was a play last year where it kind of like woke him up like in general, it was against the Rangers at Madison Square Garden. Somebody's—I forget who it was—but somebody on the Rangers stepped up and you know 
greenlit open. I just hit Frederick, and it kind of started like a bit of a melee. He ended up fighting Barclay Goudreau. And I feel like that moment just kind of like woke him up. And then it's ever since then, it's been, you know, gradual. And I didn't love him getting scratched last year in the playoffs. I didn't. No. Um, but, you know, definitely not going to happen anymore. And you mentioned the power play. I think the I think power play time is the, the next thing on the horizon for him. Like I, with his size and his shot, um, I could see him being an effective player in the bumper too, or at least net front. Um, something to consider going forward. But um, he that's had a probably net front goal on the power play one time. Like one of the very few times he played on the power play, he had that net front goal. Yeah, no, that was a nice move. Like showed yeah. showed good hands. I I want to go to Scott's opening shift because um, talking about Brad Marchand and the impact he's been able to have. And he scores another overtime game winner in Ottawa. I don't know if you guys thought that that game seemed like it was, you know, it seemed like it was destined for overtime. I feel like that should have been a regulation win. Uh, even though the Bruins are up not against not just the Senators, they're up against the refs once again. Uh, well, we can get to either part of that first, Brian. I, I know, like, we talked right before we got on here about how the refs are we're kind of a main storyline again, and it shouldn't be like that. So uh, the Bruins end up giving up mm. uh, two power play goals, and and it's not, you know, it's, it's hard to fight against that. They... The first three power plays that the Senators had, they didn't get a single shot off on any of them. Um, but then when you give them six chances, like they're going to start getting shots and they're going to start putting them in. So uh, what are you guys thoughts on how regulation went? And then we can go to the overtime goal by Marshawn. Well, I mean, I, I hate talking about the officiating because it's just wasted energy and it shouldn't be, it shouldn't be something we talk about, but I couldn't help but bring it up to you guys this morning because it's like any time that, that that one team has six power plays and the other team has one, it's like, it's just, it, it's clearly, it, it's, it's just a inability to do your job effectively. And, and to your point, Bridget, it's like the Bruins are playing shorthanded all game playing against the senders and the refs. And, and I'm not somebody who likes to, 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 to bring officials into the play. Cause I think they suck for every team. But after a night like last night, it's like in a league where you call somebody for breathing on somebody, like you're going to call the Bruins six times with the cent. You mean to tell me that the senators haven't, you know, done a little, you know, love taps with the gloves to call them as well. The, it, 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 it pisses me off when you, when you look at a, any NHL game, I don't care if it's the Bruins who are the recipient, the recipients of the good calls, any NHL box score where one team has one power play and the other team has two, three, four times the amount five times the amount, six, six times the amount. It, it, it is unacceptable. It should never happen. Um, I, that's just, that's all I can really say. It's pathetic. Can I ask you guys a question? Is, is embellishment still a penalty in the NHL? I'm going to go with are, no. Are, are they, are they supposed to call that? Because I, I remember a time when the NHL started cracking down on embellishment. And I think it might be time to do that again, because I, I'm not just talking about Bruins games, but, other games I watch, like there are a lot of embellishments, and I can't remember the last time I saw it called. Like it, it's it's crazy, and it, it, the reason I bring it up now is because the Senators, both of their power play goals came when they got power plays because Parker Kelly flopped. He flops to the ice, battling with Trent Frederick behind the net. He flops to the ice, getting shoved by Parker Wotherspoon with. He, it, it gets called a cross check, but like. That push happens in 
every scrum in the corner all game long. And it it's was just usually, usually players have more shame than to drop to the ice like like a ton of bricks like Parker Kelly did. Um, but like that's embarrassing for the refs to fall for that to fall for it twice from the same guy. It's like, what are you guys doing? Like, what are you watching? You know, like these are NHL players that lift weights and train and have the best strength and conditioning workouts in the world. They're strong enough to stay on their feet when someone nudges them in the back. Trust me, they are strong enough to stay on their feet. So when you see a guy just drop like that, like put two and two together and realize he's trying to get a call and you fell for it. You, you idiots. Like, it's 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 insane. It's just unbelievable. It is insane. You, you got sixty minutes in a hockey game to allot twelve of those to a team to have a man advantage, and then give the other team two. And and and, and first no, of all, it was one wasn't it just one? No, no. Well, yeah. I mean, two like two, like two two minutes of power oh, yeah. time. Yeah. Um, like, Which ended up actually only being three seconds because yep. awesome, just blasted the one timer. Right. Yeah, it was so, three whole seconds. Exactly. Right. Okay. Fair enough. Right. So it's like, how as a, as an official, how can you do? You, like, do you think they're walking out of Scotiabank Arena last night, being like, "Yeah, crushed that game, boys. Good job." Like, like, what, like, like, what are you doing? Seriously, even if the Bruins deserved all those penalties, which they didn't, it's like y- y- you gotta. F- you you mean to tell me that the Senators played a completely clean game? especially when everything gets called this these days, it's like, come on guys. Like this, this goes beyond the Boston Bruins versus the Ottawa senators on January 25th. Like this is about, this is a league wide issue and they gotta, they gotta figure it. They gotta figure it out. They're, they are ruining, um, they're ruining the games. They're ruining the game. Yeah. It's, it's hard to watch, especially the embellishment stuff. Like that's not hockey. Embellishment is what like is soccer or basketball. Like it, that's not hockey. Uh, it shouldn't be. And they'll, when you say, when's the last time you remember someone getting called for embellishment? The last time I saw an embellishment call was in a college hockey game. I can't remember the last time I saw one in the NHL. Uh, so. And uh, Bridget, I'm going to tell you this as someone who also watches a lot of soccer, soccer is doing a better job of cutting down on this right now than the NHL is. I, I watch a lot of premier league. And know what happens when guys flop in the Premier League? They get the foul and they get a yellow card, and that's it. There's no, there's not even matching. It's the guy who flops gets penalized, and that's the only call. Good, and like, it's about freaking time. Right, and like the NHL could and should be doing that too. And they're not only are they not even calling both guys, they're just falling for the embellishment. Like they're just calling the penalty on the other team. Uh, so the officials should be uh, one of our downs this week. Um, well, before we get to the ups and downs, I guess Scott, did you have any um, any finishing remarks regarding Marshan in your opening take? I don't think so. I mean, I think I covered most of it, but just that he's like he is more than rising to the occasion as captain, leader, and once again star player. Which, you know, look, he had a good season last year. 21 goals, 67 points. It just wasn't vintage Marchand. And we know why. He talked all season about how he still didn't feel fully like himself after that double hip surgery. And he was saying that, like, even going into the playoffs. And, you know, it, like, in a whole season of what-ifs with how everything ended, 
you wonder how that season plays out, how that playoffs plays out. If, if you have, you know, like a fully recovered year removed from hip surgery, Marshand, because we're seeing that he, he still has him in the tank. It was just the hip that was kind of holding him back last year. Um, and, you know, sometimes you wonder, like, look, he's in his mid thirties. It wouldn't be surprising enough all, at all. If that was just what he is now, you know, maybe he's just a 60, 65 point guy for a couple of years. And then he drops down to a 50 point guy. That would be normal. That's what tends to happen as players get into their mid thirties, mid to late thirties. Instead with Marshan, like this is to me, like it's, you call it a bounce back season, but again, it's not like he was that down last year. I just think it's more of a statement season. It's like he's still capable of this, and he, and he's capable of it without Bergeron as a center, which um, is just impressive. It's it's an impressive season that he's putting together. Did you uh, did you have a chance to mention earlier about him passing a certain somebody in Bruins lore? Yeah. Yeah, I mentioned that in the, okay. in the open yeah. passing Bork, but yeah, impressive stuff. I mean, anytime, anytime you're you're passing Ray Bork on anything Bruins related, it's well, he decided right. he decided to make a joke about it the other day when he tied him and say Ray Bork was a defenseman. <laughs> it's like, it's <laughs> like true. Got, yeah, I'm up here, and he's like, well, that's a defenseman, and yeah. but but then he was like, no, I'm just kidding. Like, uh, obviously, he's one of the best Bruins ever. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, he, he, he doesn't like to talk a lot about like individual accomplishments, which a lot of the guys don't, but he, he didn't really take a whole lot of time to talk about what it meant for himself because you know, the drill, it's all about the cups and the team, not the individual achievements, but obviously like we can talk about how impressive it is. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And yeah, it is funny when he, when he puts it that way, Ray Bork was a, was a defenseman, but still, I mean, um, yeah, I mean, I mean, he's just cementing himself uh, as as one of the greatest Bruins. I mean, there's no other and, way to, to describe it. And one of the most clutch Bruins because he now with the, another overtime goal, he keeps moving up that list too. Like his his yeah. overtime scoring has has been key, and uh, so he he does it again. He finds a way to to win. I think Jeremy Swayman only faced that one shot in the overtime, uh, and so the Bruins do what they should have done in regulation and take two points away from Ottawa, who had not been doing great this season record-wise. Um, so it was a team that they they needed to beat, but um, not that they're necessarily a bad team. But I know, I know the Canadian media has been on top of them quite a bit, but. Mm. Yeah, I mean, they've been, playing, they've been playing a little bit better recently, and they've been scoring a bunch of goals. So, yeah, you know, that's not. That's yeah, the, the crazy part about it is that they're they are scoring and their power play isn't bad. Like I just don't really understand what's going on with them. Well, they, they don't they don't play any defense and they don't have a goalie, so that, that's what's going on with them. Um, but yeah, one other interesting note from overtime: uh, David Pasternak did not play in overtime. He was not on either of the top two three on three units. Um, yeah, because think think back to what the breakdowns were the last few times they lost in overtime. Who was on the ice? I mean, I know we also yeah. talk about how he's on the ice to score, but like, if you're trying to really make a statement about okay, this is something we are not doing in overtime, like you have to put the better puck managers, like the better situation managers, in there. And Pasternak obviously is your deadliest threat to score, but 
you see, you kind of see maybe this is the new philosophy and how to not lose so many games in overtime. Yeah, I think they've clearly placed more of an emphasis on possession and like actual defensive responsibility. Whereas, it, you know, it's like it's tempting three on three, like, hey, just throw out your most talented players and tell them to go. And it's like, okay, but then if you don't score on your first chance, you're giving up a two or three on one. So, um, yeah, they they have gone better. Like, I think the last couple times they've gone to overtime now, you've you've seen them value the puck. How many times did we come on here and talk about how, like, you know, other teams will circle back and cycle and possess the puck for a minute straight, and then, like, the Bruins will get it, go one on two and turn it over in 12 seconds. And it's like – Or take a stupid shot, and then that's it. They, they lose the puck. Yeah, Jake, yeah, Jake DeBrus that one game. Yeah, it's like – Yes, that maybe they just needed more practice time. Maybe it just hadn't been enough of a focus. Um, you know, it is such a specialty situation that you're obviously not practicing it as much as five on five, as much as power play, penalty kill, two on one rush, three on two rush. Like that's all the stuff that the Bruins really focus on in practice. But yes, that their overtime problems got bad enough that they clearly needed to like come come back to the drawing board and figure out a different approach. And I think they have. Well, yeah, think about if you go to overtime 10 times in the season and, and you, you lose most of them, like say you lose seven or eight of them, like you're missing out on seven or eight points towards the standing. And that's not an insignificant number. Like that means you, you're now having to, to work harder um, in, in the games later on down your schedule because you missed out on points earlier in the season that you you should have at least had a better chance to to hold on to some of them if you just I don't know if if you had your overtime three on three stuff tied down earlier in the season I understand why it's not practiced as much but uh it definitely was a necessity for this team because you're otherwise you're just giving up points if you keep doing the same thing in overtime and having the same result. And it's not, it's also not great for the team, like in the locker room to, to have this keep happening to them. So you got to write it at some point. Yeah. I, th- I think um, all good points. I feel like we should head over to the um, who's up, who's down because my Wi-Fi is so shitty that I couldn't hear a word you guys are saying. And then in the last 10 seconds, you two sounded like Alvin and the chipmunks and you were talking a million <laughs> miles an hour. So I'm going to assume we were still talking about Brad Marsh and, and, and the Bruins overtime, uh, um, you know, success and David Pashnak not being out there. But uh, who's up, who's down? We have uh, – well, uh, Scott, I'll let you go over a couple couple of the downs and Bridget too because Shattenkirk's in there as one of your uh, opening shift mentions as well. Yes, yeah, I guess we can start with the downs. Um, not many because, again, Bruins are in a stretch here where they've – only lost one game recently. Uh, but it has been a quiet stretch for Matt Patra, uh, who and now has gone five games without a point. And I don't think he's playing poorly, but he's been down on the fourth line. Minutes have been down around eight, nine, ten minutes. Um, and Montgomery basically said, like, you know, he's going to have to he, – he's playing fine, but he's going to have to earn more ice time. And – Listen, it's 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 not. I don't even think it is a problem. I know some people on Twitter they get mad every time Matt Potter ends up under ten minutes, and you know you get the whole how is he supposed to develop if he's on the fourth line? He's only playing eight minutes. And it's like 
guess what? He's not a Stanley Cup contender. You, you, I'm sorry. He's not just going to be handed 14 minutes when the guys above him are playing well. Like, look at the Bruins' top three lines right now. Who, you know, who, like, who are you moving off? Who's, who's getting their minutes slashed? Um, the team's playing well. And if Patra has to contribute in, in a smaller role, then, then so be it. And, and I think he is again, like, I, I don't think he's playing poorly. I just think it would, at some point you want to see him start to get back on the score sheet. So, um, whether that requires, you know, a bump up to maybe a more talented line, like say with, with Frederick and geeky at some point, or if he just has to fight through and, and find a way to produce on a, on a fourth line role in fourth line minutes, um, you know, look, other guys have put up some points on that fourth line. Danton Hine was on the list on the fourth line when he got a hat trick. So, um, yeah, a, a down only because the points haven't been there, really. Yeah, and down in, down in the lineup a little bit as well from where he started the season um, to, to the fourth line now, but and down a minute's a little bit. So, um, so yeah, I would, I would agree with you on that. And then Shattenkirk, who we mentioned earlier, um, you know, the problem with this is like, I do really wish I had a little bit more information about the extent of an injury, if there even is one, because then that, that takes like, takes away the healthy scratch, like a hundred percent, like, cause healthy scratch is a pretty good indication that, um, you're having a little bit of a downstretch that at least in, in coach's eyes. Um, but if it's not a hundred percent healthy, you know, then you're getting someone else in there. But I will say Weatherspoon has been playing well enough to keep his spot in the lineup, which means somebody else is getting pushed out now that Forbert's back. And, and obviously more than likely something we've said since the early parts of the season, the sixth and seventh defensemen on this team probably will cycle in and out. So there's going to, both of them are going to be, scratches at different points depending on matchups and and you need a big guy or do you need someone who can move the puck better um so it's just kind of we're, we're kind of just starting to see exactly where everybody lies in the depth chart and then i wouldn't be surprised also if forbert gets more rest time because um he had a really slow recovery so i assume that like to try to preserve his health there would be some rest built in for him but yeah, Shattenkirk um, has to go on the down this this particular uh, week because of the scratches. For ups, we do have Frederick Coyle Marsh, and I think outside of David Pasternak, I, I do think that those have been um, your your three best forwards this year. I think I mean obviously James Van Riemsdyk is up there in points as well, and there's an argument to be made for him. But if you're just talking about Frederick's overall development and importance in that where he is in the lineup to to create that depth and scoring, um, obviously Charlie Coyle has stepped up in a major way this year. We talked about Martian a lot. So there's those three individuals. And then we also have Denton Heinen and and Jacob Loco, who I think had his first multi-point um or multi-game point streak of his career. His first goals of the season has come in the last few weeks as well. So Wherever you guys want to pick up those pieces with those those ups. Yeah, well, with Lauko, you know, mentioned it earlier, but he ends up out of the lineup Thursday night, which I'm assuming there's some sort of minor injury there. I'm assuming he's one of the guys Montgomery was 
talking about, needed to see in warmups. Um, because yeah, he'd been playing really well. Two goals in his previous three games, three game point streak, um, grapes everywhere. So uh, yeah, you love the grapes, man, Scott. So this comes because Scott asked him a question about the grapes uh, in one of the uh, was it the last media availability that we get to talk to him? Scott just went right for the hard hitting questions about the grapes. So uh, yeah, it was um, that was Wednesday or. Tuesday practice or Wednesday pregame? I don't know. I forget. It all blends together, but yes, it does. I have no idea what day it is, guys. Um, but Scott, please explain to people who maybe don't understand the grape thing quickly, since you mentioned the grapes. Lauka loves grapes. <laughs> he so the way he told it was like he he always would eat fruit before games, anyways. Um, That's I mean, not true. Donuts. There was donuts at one point. He said in Czechia, like the team would always have like a fruit spread. And then he got to, to Providence and they didn't really have that. So he started bringing his own fruit and he said he tried a couple other fruits, but that they were too messy. He ended up with sticky hands. So he ended up settling on grapes because they were easy to eat. They were clean. Uh, and he, and he, he, he likes them. So wait a minute, wait, just, wait, wait a minute. Hold on a second here. Hold on a second here, Scott. You, Sticky hands. I mean, I, I Bridges on us something. I mean, Mark Diver told us that that Loco, he he preferred donuts in Providence. Maybe that's where the sticky hands came from. What what fruits giving you sticky hands? <laughs> yeah, know. it's more like uh glazed maple glazed donuts. Or <laughs> <laughs> I hear those make your hands pretty sticky, but no. Yeah, well, everybody I... knows. Everybody knows a donut with strawberry frosting is a fruit. Is <laughs> a fruit. Yeah, that's a fruit. <laughs> it counts. Um, no. Well, when I first saw him, so if you watch like them the video on nested of like the guys walking in or you see them post on the Bruins Instagram like pictures of the guys walking in look at, at what he's holding he's almost always got the like a, a big full bag of grapes in his hand as he's walking in I hope one time he just starts eating them as as they're filming him or something but uh my immediate thought was grapes are also full of sugar so if you like you know a nice sugary donut like grapes you're you look better. You're like, look at I'm eating fruit, but it's also just full of sugar. Like when I was on keto, that would be a, a no go yeah. uh, in terms of something that I definitely couldn't eat. So, yeah, well, hey, a little sugar before the games. N- nothing wrong with that. Helps get you up. Um, <laughs> but L- yeah, L- I, 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 what, what are you eating? I mean, I'm eating fruit, buddy. It's a caramel apple. <laughs> Come on, it's a candy <laughs> apple you're eating there. <laughs> Chocolate covered uh, strawberries. Yeah. <laughs> hey, no, those are good for you, Scott. What are you saying? Okay, those are those are perfectly healthy. Um, but we totally t- took away from the point, which is that he's been playing better, so he can have as many grapes as he wants, and maybe we can even say, you know, the grapes are part of the reason why he's doing better. But Scott, did you have anything else to say about how Lauko isn't up this week? No. Um... I'll throw Charlie Coyle out as, as another up. I, yeah, I think Brian mentioned him, but we haven't talked a ton about Coyle, but two more points for him Thursday night. And he played 21 30. Uh, I mean, that's a co- few games now recently. He's been up over 20 minutes. Like, again, just to kind of further the point that this is a guy who's playing like a legit number one center. He's putting up the points, he's playing the minutes, he's doing the job in all three, you know. Five on five power play penalty kill. Um and just, you know, continues to just play at a at a really high level. I mean, Pavel Zaka has 
28 points and Coyle has 41. And going into the year, it was kind of, all right, which one of those guys will pull away as the number one center point production? And I think everybody thought Zaka had the higher ceiling offensively. Um, and then, you know, kudos to Coyle because then, you know, a, a bright-eyed, bushy-tailed 19-year-old came around and everybody started saying maybe maybe Charlie Coyle goes back to third-line center where he, you know, if Charlie Coyle is your third-line center, your team's really deep. I was one of them. And since then, you know, there he is undisputedly, um, you know, their best center this year, obviously, by far. And he's he's a true number one center for this team in this moment and good for him um for all of that he deserves every accolade that and and um compliment that he gets this year um i know there might be a little bit more to discuss with the bruins but we have to go shortly and i did want to give chan uh scott a chance to to talk about a very exciting week of hockey for his alma mater and uh, what's going to kick off an exciting couple of weeks in college hockey yeah, historic series for BU and BC this weekend. First time ever that they've met as the number one and number two teams in the country. BU number one going in, BC number two. Very surprising, well, by the way. I, I, I'm surprised to hear that based on their, their history. Yeah, and I think – so I don't know exactly how long like the poll era counts. I, I don't think it goes all the way back to like the 70s because – BU and BC did play in a national championship game in 1978. So I'm assuming if there were polls, they would have been one and two going into that game. You'd think so. Um, but anyways, yeah, regardless, historic. The last time they faced as even top five teams was 10 years ago, 2014. Um, last time they were both in the top three was 2012. So it's, it's a great it's only like the 26th time ever that there's been a one, two matchup only the second time with hockey East teams and both games are, are sold out Friday night at, at BC at Connie forum Saturday at BU at Aganis. And Brian mentioned it being a couple of weeks. That's because they also play in the first round of the bean pot on February 5th and just, you know, what, not even two weeks, a week and a half or whatever. Um, so yeah. And, 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 Incredible stretch of hockey for uh, for that rivalry and tickets on the secondary market. The cheapest ones I was looking yesterday are going for like one hundred seventy, one hundred eighty dollars. I just I've That's never I've never seen that this kind of demand for a regular season college hockey game. Around this is here. why I'm sometimes this is why I'm I'm happy I don't have to pay for tickets. So I just get I just uh you know, it's because I'm working so I can't just like sit down by the glass and have a beer like how I I would love to watch a game like that at some point because that's been a long time since I did that but uh yeah it's gonna be a good one uh I want to bring this up because this is something that's been bothering me that I saw and this is uh this isn't something BU did so don't worry about it Scott but Ryan Leonard for BC just like screaming at Merrimax goalie what what was that like what even is that He's going to get killed in the NHL if he does something like that. Well, he's going to fight back in the NHL. He he is a pest. And he is, like, if if you're a BU fan, by the end of this weekend, you're absolutely going to hate Ryan Leonard. Um, mm-hmm. I, I don't think I will because I kind of love the edge that he has. Like, he showed it in World Juniors, too. Um, 
He's going to eat like a goalie stick or something at some point in his career. If he yells at the goalie though, like, come on. Like I understand being a pest, but like you're, you're a young, like he just looks like a brat when he does that. I don't know. To me, like you're young, you're like in a situation where you're, you should be like paying your dues a little bit. I don't know. I mean, I, I agree, but I also think he's, he might just be like a borderline psycho. Like if a goalie gives him a stick to the teeth, he's the kind of, he seems like the kind of kid who would like be laughing through broken teeth and blood. Are you trying like, to say he's like a Kachuk or something? Yes. He's like a Mac Kachuk. That, that, that's exactly the kind of player he's going to be. And he's, uh, he's a capital, he's a capital's first round pick. So he's going to go there and then learn from Tom Wilson and become that even more like. So Scott, I, I apologize if you already laid it out completely, but after tonight's Friday, after Friday night's game, which is at, it's at Aganis. Friday's at Connie, Saturday Aganis. Okay, so Friday's at BC, Saturday's at Aganis, and then, um, and then that's the last. Th- those are the last two games they play each other until the Bean Pot, or there's another home and home. No, then then it's the Bean Pot first round. Okay. Of the bean pot. Okay. Wow, cool. Yep, can't wait. So you're going to Aganis, Scott, on Saturday. I'm going. I'm going both nights. I will be there both nights. Oh, nice. And- and but both games are on Nesson too. So anyone who doesn't want to pay two hundred dollars for tickets, you can watch at home. Yes, watch watch Nesson Saturday the whole day because I got the broadcast right before. So I'll be broadcasting the PWHL game at four, and then right after that is the BCBU game. So well, that's and Bruins what, Flyers what, at twelve thirty. So you get. I was just gonna say, yeah, wake up, go get go get your Dunkin' Donuts coffee and your, uh, you know, mm-hmm. your 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 favorite your favorite. Dining food. I don't. I don't know. Go watch Bruins. Go watch. And leave it. Leave it Bridget. tuned to Nesson for the whole day. Go watch BU. Yeah. Um. I. I, I I'm gonna be scanning. Um. Nesson both nights for like somebody throwing popcorn at BC players, only to see that it's Scott <laughs> with like a Michael Ruzioni jersey on. Boo! <laughs> Boo! <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um. That's what he does when he's a fan. He usually has to keep it tame in the press box. But when he's a fan, he's an animal. So that, That's what I do to Bridget in the press box. That's not true. That's what I do to Scott. What's the, uh, what, what's the, uh, what's the BU fan chant at the bean pot? Like, like fuck him up, fuck him up, BC sucks or something like that? They, they, yeah, they've technically changed it to rough him up. You know? Yeah, uh, no. That's not what <laughs> I think I think there's still a lot of people who say fuck them up. So. Oh, you just, think? I, I could just <laughs> see uh, I could just see like BU scoring a goal, and like you have like the you have the band in the top of the balcony at the garden with their you know playing the music, and you see Scott about Scott, Scott, Scott's going crazy. He's like on his chest. Yeah, Scott's, got his, got his, Scott's got his shirt off, painted painted red with BU and white paint <laughs> on his chest. I you know hey, what? No, I, I'm. I'm not moonlighting as, as Sasquatch. That <laughs> that that job's already taken at BU. It's been oh, been been covered for for a couple decades now. Mm. All right. Well, I think that probably wraps it up. Um, hope you all have a wonderful weekend and enjoy enjoy all the hockey as we just mentioned. And we will talk to you on Monday.